Welcome back to the podcast. It is my great pleasure to welcome my friend and colleague, Dr. Keisha Valdez, to the podcast. We've worked together. We also co-taught a course together last fall semester. Dr. Valdez, Keisha, thank you so much for being here. But I guess I could just maybe start with a little introduction about who I am. Um, so I'm, yeah, so I'm Keisha Valdez. I currently live in the Boston area, but I've uh, moved around a bit. Um, I grew up, I was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, East Flatbush, if anybody knows New York well at all. So that is a very much a Caribbean community. Um, um, one of the areas that was, was formerly um, uh, large Jewish communities, like when the uh, Caribbean people moved in, a lot of the, the Jewish families moved to Long Island. So, um, yeah, that was the area, area in which I grew up. I went to uh, neighborhood schools with other uh, children who would have been, um, you know, immigrants as well. And well, when I went to primary school, it was actually in a kind of neighboring area. And that area actually had um, Italian Im immigrants there. So that was an um, interesting sort of um, dynamics um, there for those um, elementary school years. And then I went to more neighborhood schools, um, which was, again, pretty much mostly Caribbean um, folks for the most part. Um, and then after that, I um, went to school at Howard University, which is a historically black university in Washington, D.C. So back then it was called Chocolate City. It's less chocolatey now, um, from what I understand. And um, I then I lived there and was um, started in education, um, teaching and, in K-12 environments, and um, uh, then moved back to New York and they moved back to D.C. and then I um, <laughs> moved my family, my children. We moved in Trinidad for um, some odd years and I raised my children there for some years. And then I moved to the Boston area where I'm now and where I met um, the lovely Matthew Good. And, <laughs> and, um, um, and now I actually work for Boston uh, Public Schools as, and I, I, I work with um, really around issues of race and culture and language as it relates to schooling and, and, and um, thinking about how the policies and curriculum and things like that kind of help or hinder um, and or, or how it kind of contributes to achievement and opportunity gap. So that's the work I'm doing now. Um, prior to that, I was working in higher education, as um, kind of mentioned. That was a long introduction. <laughs> that was a perfect introduction. That was great. Um, so when we were chatting um, recently, I guess it's now been a couple months ago, um, we, you know, one of the nice things about our, our friendship and our collegial relationship is we get to have these cool conversations about interesting topics. When we were chatting um, a while back, you mentioned, um, I recall, that you identify as tricultural. And I was wondering if you could just share a little about these three aspects of your cultural identity, obviously these total sum of who you are, but you, I remember you highlighting these three um, when we were chatting and we'd be interested just if you could share a little bit about each of those. Yeah, so the three kind of identities that I would describe myself as is Afro-Caribbean, let's say Afro-Trinidadian, um, African-American, and then there's this American. And those last two are kind of blurry for me, but that's another matter. But I would say there's kind of three. 
Um, and because I mentioned that, like, where I grew up, like, everybody was, 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 was had the Caribbean backgrounds. Um, when someone said, where you're from, you said Trinidad or Jamaica or Haiti. That's just what you said. That it, it, like, I never thought anything of it. And um, it wasn't until when I, when I, you know, moved to D.C. that, um, you know, you or, you know, or even that, like if I was referring to talking to, say, cousins that grew up in Trinidad, they would then see, would refer to me as being American. And I just didn't quite see it that way. But I was like, okay, I guess. It didn't, it, it didn't really, you didn't think about it that way. And then when, I guess when I got older, there's this, then you started thinking, but wait, I'm, I'm a little bit more than that. I began to expand how I was seeing myself because I realized there were these sort of two worlds. Because not everyone, by the time I got to university, and you know a lot of us, if, when you go on to, when you move out of your hometown, you get exposed to more people. And I realized that there's this, um, there's different ways in which I can sort of be in and out of different groups. And so again, going to a historically black university, there's this African-American identity that I could um, also access. And even though, but I did realize there was a staunch difference in the way that I understood and navigated the world and how I saw myself and the way they they did. Um, that many of my um, um, friends or um, who had had more describe it, American backgrounds, you know? Um, so yeah, it's like, so these different kind of spaces. But then even at that phase, those were like the two sides I saw, you know, this Afro-Caribbean and African-American. And, it, and, it, and then it really wasn't until I kind of got into the workforce, and I would say, you know, well into adulthood, that they became this other self that I could tap into that I could sort of um, or attempt to. That's why I said this is blurry, this third one, of, of this American identity that to some extent I can have a conversation or with someone who is, say, a white American and find that commonality of, you know, even as I'm saying this, I'm sorry if I'm confusing people who are listening, but as I'm saying this, this is, I think, I'm, I think there's maybe two identities here, you know, because I was going to say, if I'm talking to a white American, that I'm thinking that, all right, we're relating in this sort of way. But I'm not sure that's really what's happening. Or maybe I am sometimes just assimilating to that, to, to, to the white American and identifying that as almost like this pure sense. By saying that, it sounds like I'm, I'm, I'm equating that to being like pure American. And I don't even believe that. As I was getting ready to say, I'm like, that's not true. So maybe for me, there's really just two identities here. I think there's this Afro-Caribbean identity, and then there's this African-American identity. And that's, that's what it is, you know? And I think that sometimes the people who are on the outside, outside of the U.S. context, they may think there's this general American identity. They've lumped everything together. And, and maybe I just kind of go with it with them in that moment or not. But I think for me, there's two identities. That's, that's so interesting, Keisha. And I, I actually appreciate that as you were sharing something yeah clarified in your own thinking or, or or you realized you needed to articulate it a different way because i think when we when we all think about our cultural identities we all have aspects of our self-perceptions that are can be blurry sometimes or are, are less 
less well-defined. And so I think that's actually really interesting for people to, to, to hear and, and reflect on. And yeah, you and I have had conversations before about, you know, this, this overarching huge category of being American, you know, culturally. And as you just said, um, one, how diverse the United States is in all kinds of ways. Um, and as you also rightly said, the fact that um, many people, uh, many white Americans, many people outside the U.S., whether they realize it or not, when they think about the typical American or American mainstream American culture, that's rooted in, you know, white, white norms, right? And so I appreciate that you, that you articulated that. Yeah. There's always a, a tension there mm-hmm. um, with what I know, um, let's say intellectually, and and what is it that um, society sort of tells me, you know, and they're kind of fighting against that. I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense to me. I need to be a little bit, I'm, I'm always trying to be critical of what is it that I'm really thinking? What am I really buying into? What's coming out of my mouth? You know, is it really matching the, 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 the arguments that are going on in my head or the positioning that's going on in my head? So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so given, you know, these, these, um, multiple identities, you know, particularly, as you said, Afro-Caribbean slash Afro-Trinidadian and African-American identities, um, what would you say that these, having kind of these multiple aspects of your cultural identity has influenced kind of your perspective or your values, your view of the world? I think one thing that it's really done is allowed me to have a very um, open view on identity, right? Mm-hmm. I realize that identity is very complex and that we take our identities into everything that we do. Um, like, um, <clears throat> so it, it plays out in the decisions I make around how I rear my children, you know, or, um, the way in which I may speak, uh, the way in which I may relate to someone. It's, it's like it can, it, it, it really plays out in, in depending on who I'm speaking with, what circles I'm in at the, at the moment, how I'm going to be received. And I, I think about, um, how those perspectives, um, how those perspectives might be influenced, you know, yeah, influencing the way that I'm acting and responding to people at any given moment. Um, I think I pick, I pick up on the assets of all of them. You know, all cultures, of course, have some assets to them. And I, I like that I can use them like almost as tools. Like what are, what are the goodies that I have from this part of my identity and the goodies from that side of my identity that, are, that I can use to try to figure things out, you know, to, to pull community resources. Who do I know? How, how would I look at it? from this perspective or that perspective. Yeah. Um, I feel like I didn't really answer your question well. No, you did. Oh, and I'm also thinking about, as you shared earlier, a little bit about the, the work you're doing um, for Boston Public Schools and, you know, work around race and education and culture. And I imagine that the fact that you have these multiple kind of cultural identities and experiences, as you said, to draw on, imagine that probably is a, is a great benefit in the work that you do, that you're able to not just draw on one kind of monocultural 
perspective in, in your work. Yeah, and I, yeah, I think, and part of what that also does is that um, I think I'm very sensitive to spaces in which I felt validated um, and a sense of belonging and spaces where I felt excluded or invalidated. And I think that's the other thing that having these different cultural lenses um, has been able to do for me because then it, 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 it allows me to be able to interact with people thinking like, am I excluding people, you know, in the way in which I'm just saying this or the way I'm describing that or the, in the way that I'm moving, you know, it's, um, I'm also starting to get much more sensitive that, um, as I evolve and understand identity, um, my own identity differently, because I think it's a lifelong process really, is that um, I, I really am starting to believe that other people can't identify, can't tell you your identity. You, you have to kind of know that and you have to, it's what you believe and, um, and, and, and how you live and, 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 and those sorts of things. So I always think about, let's say, military children, right? Um, someone's their family is U.S. military, and they were born in um, Japan, right? Um, does that necessarily make you Japanese? I, I, I would probably say not so. But if it is that, you know, you spent many years in that space and you um, sort of um, really or part of the culture and you understand it and you feel like it's part of you, you know, you um, have some of those values and traditions and such like that, beliefs, then who am I to tell you or any of us that, that you're not Japanese, right? Are you less Japanese than someone who was born in Japan and then moved to Canada at the age of three months and never went back? <laughs> and they really are assimilated into, fully assimilated into Canadian culture. Who, you know, who, who, who's to say that that person has to say they're Japanese? It, it's so, so I'm very mindful about identity and giving myself that space to even in this conversation, changing up what I see as my own identity, I have the right to do that. <laughs> you know, you know. I think that that's another perspective that that having coming from different cult different cultural backgrounds kind of does that you you can see that it's it's it's, it's sticky. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that's an empowering kind of way to be um, in the world. Um, and you know, as you said, it, I, as much as having multiple cultural identities, multiple cultural experiences, especially that have been in some way um, important in shaping you, can be sometimes, you know, cognitively, like, a lot to manage. Um, it, it, what I've had in the past is that it can also be a huge advantage, I just, I think, in the world, because, I mean, my own two cents, and I think the world needs more people that can think with, through one, through more than one lens, you know, and not that it would solve all our problems, but it might might help. Um, <laughs> and so I think that being that kind of duality in your perspective and being able to shift between one or more, or two or more is, is really a great um, a great ability and a great thing to sort of develop and cultivate in yourself. Um, one thing, Keisha, I was just thinking about is 
um, what you've shared so far um, has a lot around your 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 the intellectual part of this, the the mental part of this. You know, um, the thoughts you have when you hear somebody say something that maybe sounds like they're overly simplifying a particular culture or group. Um, if 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 you're willing to share what in general that this experience would sometimes be like for you um, on a um, affective or emotional level. I mean, what, how do you, how do you make sense of all this on, on that level of thing? I almost want to share something that just happened like a week ago. It was a kind of emotional reaction. So we were talking of a group of friends. Um, everyone is Caribbean, either U.S born Caribbean to immigrate or um, born in the Caribbean. It was a few of us. And we were talking about um, someone else's, another person's child-rearing situation, right? The first thing that was said by what comment was made was there was a story about a child who was given, a teenager, giving a lot of trouble, right? And we were talking about, you know, the parent experience with having to deal with this this um, this teenager. Mm-hmm. And the and the comment was made was referring to the parent having to cope with it and saying, and they're from this they're, and and they're from the Caribbean, suggesting that um, that would have been an American problem. That's not a problem. A Caribbean people have better control over their children, um, and, and and almost like, you know. And that immediately struck a chord because I know that the person is a U.S.-born person. And I knew that that was not relevant at all. And so there's these things that, you know, this group does things a certain way, this culture does things a certain way, and these, uh, you know, this group doesn't do it this way, and this one is better than the other. And I know that is a tension that I personally grew up with, um, you know, you know, we always like to blame parents for things. But my my own parents, you know, would be very mindful of our reflections and the way in which we spoke and say things like, "Don't sound like a Black American." And 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 so this idea, and it took a long time to mm-hmm. learn that you know what's wrong with sounding like a Black American. You know, it's it's it's, it's you know, and then also with uh, you know Black American friends. So you're not like really Black. So what is that supposed to mean? But so these things about identity and what does it mean to have a particular identity? What does it mean to be of a particular group? And so in that moment, in that group conversation, if you imagine like um, on a television episode, like the room stands still and the person, the main character, their mind goes off thinking about something else. I might have missed a few seconds of the conversation afterwards because I was in this little thought bubble about what is that supposed to mean? You know, is this suggesting that if you um, raise children in the United States, or if you are, you know, that you, you let, you're, you're less um, able as a parent. And these ideas, these generalized ideas about what, you know, uh, deficits of a culture. And, and that, that has a strong emotional reaction. Because now, you know, I, I'm, I'm almost mentally defending the um, African-American side of my identity. But in that space, so I felt excluded, you know, even though it's a mixed group. There are other people who just like me in that same, at the same table. But, you know, it's like you're not supposed to, you're supposed to take off that hat. You now have on the Caribbean hat. 
you know, so it's this, the implicit kind of, yeah. yeah, it's an implicit thing. It's like, you know, I can, you know, <clears throat> talk about this other group as though I'm not part of it, you know, and it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's an interesting sort of dynamic. And I think, um, yeah, that's like, it, it, it's, it's a tough thing um, to sort of navigate from an emotional standpoint. But so, but I think, and even though I might have um, thought about it, you know, you know, have this cognitive thing, and I understand, and I can speak about it, I work around these kind of concepts. But when you're in it, um, there's still this kind of trigger, like, hey, what's that supposed to mean, you know? And what are you saying about me? So now, do I not say anything if my son is giving trouble? Because now you're going to think it's it's because of where I was born, and that's the reason why they're behaving like that, or you know, hey. no, and yeah. So just yeah, defend, uh, the defenses come up, internal defenses come up a bit, um, which yeah. No, thank you for sharing that experience. I think I imagine that in different ways, a lot of people can relate to that. In, in, you know, in some regard of being being in a conversation where they feel like one of their identities is in some way or other being even indirectly disrespected or implicitly disrespected or something that there's a tone or something in the air that just doesn't quite right. Um, um, people sometimes about cross-cultural stuff. The emotional piece is the one that I think a lot of us struggle with the most because, you know, uh, it's. I guess it's easier to sort of, as you just said, con maybe not control our thoughts, but manage our thoughts. So, you know, when you, whether it's the example you just gave or in general, you know, do you have any sort of thoughts or tips, insights for people, or just from your own experience of how do you manage like that moment where you're feeling whatever you're feeling, do you just sort of let yourself go there internally or do you, do you have any like strategies that you've <laughs> found to? I think that, so I'm going to continue on with that example, right? Because it's, it's fresh, it just happened the other day. I think that um, because I am constantly thinking about my identity. It's something I play around with. Um, in that moment, I was able to, even though I had that kind of thought bubble and pause in time, I didn't sit there very long, and I wasn't reactive, um, emotionally reactive, um, because then it's like almost like you don't want to be outed as you know, on some other side or something like that. But I, I think I had on the ready, I, I think what I was able to say when I got off that pause, I was like, what does that have to do with it? And then I remember saying that you don't know what things are going to be like, regardless of where you are, when you're dealing with children, you know, and bring it back to the point and remind mm -hmm. that you're talking from a cultural standpoint that may be limited. But I just kind of, so I guess the strategy in that moment is that I used all of the rational and um, intellectual thinking that's kind of in my head. I'm not going to rattle off some research paper that's not the time and place. It's right. a bunch of friends hanging out and taking a drink. Mm -hmm. But I was able to just say one line to redirect the conversation and at least maybe pause and let that person think, hey, not cool, <laughs> you know? There's other ways of looking at this. So they back off from that. And let's get back to the conversation at hand, you know, which is about how to deal with troublesome teenagers, you know, and, 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 and reminding people when they're coming from a, a specific perspective. And, um, and I think that I guess also by just sharing, by even just saying that little phrase, 
gave them a moment to think that maybe, maybe he did, I don't know if he did, but maybe letting my friends know in that moment, that might have been a little slightly offensive. So if for nothing else, know when you keep your, when you keep your own um, views, judgments about other cultures. And it's great to be proud of your own culture, I am, but being proud of yours doesn't mean you have to put down another one. You know what I mean? Oh. Or talk about another one from a deficit lens. So even just saying that might be a pause for someone to just, for them to pause in the future. So I think that that's a kind of a way. But I think all of that comes from actively thinking about my own identity because I am often in situations where I have to think about it. And also my work sort of lends itself to that. And I'm thinking about culture and race and identity all of the time. Um, so I'm kind of, you know, just around it. But um, even in our, my quiet moments, when I'm not doing it for, for my nine to five or, um, or even in those conversations with friends, to just have that because then you're not caught off guard particularly if this is something that you are yourself kind of dealing with, I think just to have something in you, like, what, where do I stand on this? So you're not easily, as easily shaken. Yeah, because you're right. Saying, what, you know what I mean? You're Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what it is. Yeah. No, I, I love how you put that. And I think, I think that, that takes, as you just said, that takes practice, right? Like, mm-hmm. I know sometimes whether it's students or other folks who I know who are maybe a little bit newer to thinking about some of these things, cultural identity and cultural interactions and stuff, it can, it, it can, it might seem overwhelming to think about how you would, how you would or should or could respond in the moment, right? When something happens that is surprising or upsetting or whatever. And, and, you know, I think that, um, it takes time and sort of reflection and practice to kind of cultivate for yourself. How do you find that sort of inner quiet in yourself to check in with how you're thinking and feeling in that moment? And then from that place, as you said, from that place of being grounded, being then able to either choose to say something or not choose to say something, or, you know, that you're kind of connected to yourself um, and you kind of act, so to speak. Um, and, and I just want to, add that I like the way you said, or choose not to say something. And in those spaces where you choose not to say something, it's because you made that decision. Mm-hmm. That it, and, and it's not because you were, you know, uh, intimidated or, you know, too much in your feelings about it. But it's like, you know what? I don't really deserve, I don't have to give this person an explanation. I don't have to justify my thoughts. I'm still whole. And cool with yeah. who I am, but um, right. you know, and I'm saying this all calm and cool right now. And in that situation, I was good. Mm-hmm. Then there are other moments where, you know, I'm driving the car home after whatever that thing was. I'm like, I should have said this and I should have said that. You know, so you know, I don't want to give the impression that you know I'm always cool or whatever about it. There's some moments where it shakes me, and it also depends on who. Because sometimes that it means something different depending on who it's coming from in the circles and. Um, you know, so I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a work in progress. That's what I think. Absolutely. I remember when we taught that course together last fall, we a few times made the point that with our students, that this whole idea of, you know, intercultural competence is in a way a misnomer because it's not like you ever become fully competent, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, it's an, it's like the more, 
the more you live and experience and reflect on these things, the more you realize that it's always in flux. And yeah, you can develop skills absolutely over time, but it doesn't mean you've ever got it all figured out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think the, the moment you think you've got it all figured out is when you, you may be messing things up. <laughs> well said, yes. Um, so I, I think those were most of the kind of questions that I was hoping we could get through. Um, is there anything else, other thoughts that have popped in or other things you'd just like to share or reflect on before we wrap up? Um, the only thing that came to mind um, was that how that sometimes plays out when you're traveling. I think, you know, that one of the part I was saying earlier about that, um, that third identity of American, I think sometimes, it, you know, I think that's another kind of fuzzy place. You could be traveling, um, let's say, if you're in Europe or somewhere else, and, like, um, I think they still see a black person. But, um, the, but you know, they, their understanding of the dynamics of the U.S., you know, you might just get the people might assume that you come from a, a different a particular political um, standpoint. Um, and, you know, you Americans... How you all, you know, and you all, you right. know, um, I, I was having a conversation with a woman in um, England um, recently. We were on Zoom, and um, I mentioned something about my 17-year-old son, and she said, I hate to ask you this, but, like, does he go to football games on Friday nights and all this? Because that's what I see on television. And, you know, are you all? And I'm like, yeah, um, you need to stop watching all that television. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, my point is this idea of, as American identity, even when they strip all the racial and um, this um, the American as a as a as a I guess, ethnic group that people try to create in an international context. Yes, that's, that's a, a whole different um, can of worms. That that's a, that's a another thing to sort of unpack for, again for another podcast. <laughs> no, I, I I would yeah I would that, I think that's a great topic for another podcast. Um, and yeah, there's so much there. And I like that you brought up the aspect of travel and the way that we, when we travel outside of our own culture or cultures, we can view, we can get a different perspective on our own cultures. And then, and then we, we can, we can learn another perspective on our culture from someone else, you know, based on how they perceive us or generalizations that they might have. Um, but then that's one of the views, values of, um, uh, of travel, whether it's within a country or beyond borders, which of course nowadays is not as not as common. But um, yeah. well, Keisha, um, I just wanted to say thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. I know you're busy. Um, it's a Friday afternoon that we're recording this, and um, I know that we're both a little tired, but I so appreciate you taking the time to share your thoughts. I always love our conversations, whether they're recorded or not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or accidentally recorded because we've done that sometimes. <laughs> exactly, you've done that too. Yes. Oh, was the mic on? Oh, whoops. Um, yeah. So, so just wanted to say thank you so much, and um, hope you have a great weekend. Thank you. Thank you. It was very fun, and you got me thinking about some things, and that's always great. And that's that's why we we get along well. <laughs> Thanks, Matthew. Take care.